Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. How have you been? I hope all is well with you and yours. Thank you for spending the start of the week with me. Our metaphor will resonate with you, believe me. And by the end of the show, you'll acknowledge my guest as a true champion. Our guest today is Tony Kelly, who was 2022's recipient of the Black Honours Award for his achievements in raising awareness for diabetes. Tony has many merits to his name, including hosting Birmingham's Breakthrough TV, Our Health is Our Wealth show, which interviews black healthcare professionals and community activists on health-related topics. But before we chat with Tony Kelly, we'll be taking a dive into Tony's chosen metaphor, a phrase that you may not have heard before unless you are a follower of the great philosophers. Today, we'll be throwing it back to ancient Greece and tackling Aristotle's words of how the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet. I hope you'll find today's metaphor so engaging that you'll share it with your friends and colleagues. Have you ever overheard a conversation between two university or college students that made you worry about them? The sort of conversation where you can see one of them has bags under their eyes and has a huge backpack and says... If a car hit me right now, I'd probably thank the driver. Education, often higher education, can be some of the most draining and exhausting life experiences a person can go through in their young life. As much as Hollywood and the older generations like to make out that students are party animals, which yes, some may be, but more often than not, education is made up of sleepless nights, exam stress, solved only by dangerous amounts of caffeine and hysterical crying fits in the school's library. Suffice it to say, getting an education is hard, but seeing the fruits of those years and labour come into fruition as you receive your diploma can make it all feel worth it. That is exactly what Aristotle meant when he coined the phrase, the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet. Words and language, no matter what anybody tells you, Words and ideas can change the world. At some point in your life, you may have seen an inspirational quote that came from a film that focused on encouraging students to branch out and learn new things. Whether it's Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society, encouraging young boys to see the beauty of literature, or maybe Julia Roberts in Mona Lisa Smile, pushing the women of a women's only college that only encourages marriage and child-rearing instead of education to reach out to find more for themselves. Education is a leading determinant of economic growth, employment and earnings. Ignoring the economic dimension of education would endanger the prosperity of future generations with widespread repercussions for poverty, social exclusion and sustainability of social security systems. Come on, ladies. There's no wrong answer. There's also no textbook telling you what to think. It's not that easy, is it? In life, being educated, whether it be through formal means or to seek out learning, can often offer chances to go further in life 
A person can struggle within education due to home life pressures, societal expectation and prejudice, and many other aspects that can lead to the first part of Aristotle's phrase of the roots of education are bitter. You said my skills extend farther than the basketball court. Farther relates to distance. Further is a definition of degree. You should have said further. Are you challenging me, Mr. Wallace? Not any more than you challenge Coleridge. Well, perhaps the challenge should have been directed elsewhere. Yet, as we see with many of these educational fictional content, like Elle Woods in Legally Blonde or Jamal Wallace in Finding Forrester, expectations are put onto them based on their background, appearance and other factors. However, through inspirational material, they are able to overcome their hardships and gain the education they are owed and deserve. Everyone deserves an education. Everyone deserves equal education. As Aristotle concludes, the fruit is sweet because gaining an education and being able to use it to hopefully better your situation is indeed sweet. You have outlined our new syllabus, Betty. Thank you. What is art? What makes it good or bad and who decides? Tony Kelly is a Myco Teachers College graduate who went on to teach English and religious education in Kingston High Schools. It is his work with education and his management of diabetes that encouraged us to discuss Aristotle's thoughts on education through his words of, the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet. Tony, I became aware of you in my never-ending search to understand more about diabetes because my father has it, my grandmother died from it, and a lot of my friends who seemingly were okay found out very late in life and it was too late, it was too advanced, they, they felt, to do some of the things that you're doing. And looking at caribdirect.com, I saw that you have been featured there. Oh, right. Yes, I write for them. And I thought that it would be very interesting to talk to you because Mm -hmm. you have a very unique, but a way that people perhaps should be aware of, Mm -hmm. but they're not, or they are aware of, Mm -hmm. and they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I felt that you have got a lot of experience to try and encourage people. And I think when it comes to diabetes, especially, it's also the public awareness and the awareness of the supporters of the person who has it will help them. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about you and um, to maybe sometimes go into the basics because sometimes people think that they they are aware of and they know about it. They really don't. Mm-hmm. So when you came up with um, your metaphor, the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet, I mm-hmm. thought, fantastic. I mean, yeah. you just hit the nail on, on the head. head. And I don't even think I have to ask any questions. I think you can just roll with the whole thing. Okay. So, well, it's, so it's why nice. metaphor? Well, I, I'm British born, but my parents did what I thought was the most wonderful thing they sent me back to the land of their birth, Jamaica, while they remained in Britain. Um, my, my mother trained as a nurse. So I was brought up in Whitehall, St. Thomas, by my grand-aunt, grand-uncle, and my grandmother. And it was instilled in me. And I'm so glad they did that, um, Delia, because 
I, I sometimes wonder, had I remained in Britain, would I have succeeded as a black young man, black boy for starters, back in the early 60s, would I have done as well as I have done by having gone back and been surrounded by a teacher, by, by a library, by books and so on. So, I, and for me, I, I regard the Caribbean education as par excellence. It's, it's the best in the world out there. I don't care what the developed countries want to say. We might be poor in some regards, but when it comes to education, that is key. And it was instilled in me by my grandmother from an early age who was more or less semi-illiterate. She said, you're a bright little boy. And all in the summer holidays, she would say to me, if you're Caribbean, you will know it, go take your book. Go take your book. And I said, but it's summer holiday. She said, no, 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 no. You can't be out there for six weeks just playing. So I would have to leave outside in the summer. Um, everybody's out there playing. She said, no, you go and study. And that is what has paid off. Um, I look back on it now and I think, yes, I had to work hard, study hard, and so on. Um, that's saying the roots of education are bitter, but the fruit is sweet. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher Aristotle, born in 384 BC, he was the one who came up. So look how long that saying came about. And I'm into not immediate gratification, but delayed or deferred gratification. So you work hard, hard work has never killed anybody. There's another one, if you want good, your nose has to run. You probably know that one as well. Whereby um, it's working hard and really grafting to aim for the stars or the moon or wherever you set your goals and so on in life. And by the sweat of thy brow, thou shalt eat bread. So you've got to, and be able to, to do things in a tough way. And, and that's what I've been had instilled in me as a child growing up. So I would be burning the midnight oil, staying late up at night, studying, rehearsing, or whatever I was involved in. Um, I just didn't go into it saying, oh, yeah, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Most of us as Black people were not born with a silver spoon in our mouth or like royalty with a silver platter. We have to work hard for it. And as I, my grandmother always said to me, I'll go back to it, she would say, hard work has never killed any of us. That is what gets us to where we want, to climb up the ladder. It's about social mobility. I don't want to remain at the foot of the ladder. And it's education, education, education. The three words that Tony Blair, he got it, and he's saying loud and clear. And I want to instill that in young people coming up. It's not about the Nike and the Adidas and the latest fashion and the latest iPhone and iPad. It's about, as my grandmother would say, go take your book, meaning go and study, go and work hard to achieve the GCSEs, the CXEs, whatever exams you're doing, your degrees, your diploma. And not everybody is going to be into that. Some people, it will be like a skill or a trade or a craftsmanship. Whatever you're doing, doing it to the best of your ability and rise and make your parents and your grandparents and your family proud of you. And, and that is why I'm, I'm pleased that they made the decision to send me back to Jamaica. Because And I came back here in 1979. And in Jamaica, I went on to Michael Teachers Training College and taught in the high schools in Jamaica till I came back here in 1979. And I've been living in Birmingham with my wife and daughter and now son-in-law ever since. But I can't but stress 
the importance of young people, awareness raising. And people say, but you're still a teacher, although you've moved out of education into, I, I then became a probation officer and a senior probation officer. They said, but here you are doing this diabetes health and well-being. You mentioned in your family, Delia, where people in your household and your family have had the medical condition diabetes. I've seen it firsthand in Jamaica, starting from the top. The strokes, the blindness, the heart attacks, the kidney failure, necessitating going into the hospitals to go onto the dialysis machine. I've seen lower limb amputations, what we would call chopping off of toes and feet. I've also seen premature death, what we call gone too soon. And when I was diagnosed 18 years ago, and this is a man's thing, Delia, men, most men do not do doctors. Men are not in touch with their emotions. Men are not in touch with their feelings. I'll put my hand up to your listeners and viewers and say, I was one of those men. And my wife kept nagging me, something's wrong with you, something's wrong with you. And I said, no, 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 no. But deep down, I knew something was wrong with me. But like the ostrich, the largest bird on the planet, most men bury their head in the sand, hoping the problem will go away. And as you, Delia, know, with most women, at the first sign of an itch, a pain, or a twitch, they go and see their healthcare professional. They go and see their doctor. They go and get their breast examined. They go and get their body examined. Men are into this macho, manly figure. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to be seen in places like that. Yes. If in doubt, check it out is my motto. If in doubt, check it out. That's a very, very good motto to stand by. But can you remember when you first heard the word diabetes? or understood. Can you remember that? I like that. I love that question because in Jamaica, they never, when I was growing up as a child, called it diabetes. They said, this person, that person, that person has a touch of sugar, a touch of sugar. That So they minimize, trivialize, downplay this condition, diabetes, medical condition. And it's only when I came to Britain, 1979, and started going about my merry life and so on, and, and then when, when I eventually got the condition 18 years ago, and mine's controlled by physical activity and that, by the way, no big pharma, no medication. But then I started hearing the word diabetes. And I thought that I was bright and intelligent and was reading up well. But then in Jamaica, they never used the word diabetes. So it's only by coming here and I started reading more about it. And I thought, ah, that's what they were referring to when I was growing up as a child. Granny have a touch of sugar. Uncle so-and-so have a touch of sugar. And it is more than a touch of sugar. And we as black people, we need to wake up. We need to smell the roses or smell the coffee or whatever else we want to smell. We need to take care of our bodies and take more control of our bodies. Let's go back to basics. Mm -hmm. What is diabetes? Right, that's a good question. You're asking all the right questions here. <laughs> we each have a six-inch gland, which is situated from the navel string or belly button, as some of us would call it, six inches in length. It produces the hormone insulin. Without insulin, you cannot live. You will die. You can live without an eye, without any hair on your head like me, or without any teeth in your mouth, or with one foot. You cannot survive without insulin. Insulin, which the pancreas makes, regulates the blood sugars or glucose or blood sugars that go around the body. 
So depending on the food you eat and all the food we eat, which breaks down into our system, the blood glucose, the insulin has something to do with it. Now with type one, very quickly with type one, the pancreas packs in all together. It doesn't work at all. And that's nothing to do with ethnicity, size, age, but only 8% of people have type one. And therefore everybody with type one has to inject insulin three or four times a day into the atomic area to keep them alive. That's type one. They have to inject insulin. Type two is slightly different. And 90% of people with diabetes have type two. Type two is that some insulin is being produced, not enough, or what's being produced is not doing its job properly. Hence, some people then also with type two have to go on insulin or go on a tablet called metformin or other types of tablets. I am one of the lucky ones in that, although mine is hereditary, from the moment I was diagnosed, Delia, I decided to make what we call the behavioral or lifestyle changes. So the days of me having six, seven, eight tablespoons of rice and peas is no more. That's a starter, okay? I do a lot of physical activity. When I was growing up in Jamaica and they try and give me the pop chow and the lettuce and the cabbage and the kale and the spinach and the callaloo, I tell them that's rabbit food for rabbits and guinea pigs. I never ate those things. No, those are what make up my diet and the family, my wife, my daughter, my son-in-law. We eat lots of vegetables. We eat a lot of fresh fruits. We cut down on the carbohydrates. Every carbohydrate you eat, Delia, breaks down into your body. And a lot of people don't know this into glucose or sugar. So the bun, not even say the bun, the hard dough bread, the rice, the yam, the, um, the, the, the potato, all of those are starchy food, which we do need in our body to give us energy. But too much of one thing is good for nothing, my grandmother told me as a child. Less is more, smaller portion sizes. And that has to be the message I want to get across in terms of awareness raising, education. Yes. Everything that you're saying there, we all kind of, we hear it, we know it, especially in the Caribbean. The Caribbean, the Caribbean, they always say, oh, this, you know, this island, the people, there's a high percentage of people with diabetes. Well, a lot of it is because, part of it is because we don't know it, but most of it, I believe, is because of the foods that we eat. It's I agree. You tell people, they just, you know, maybe because they think, well, in the, in the old days, Mm -hmm. We people used to eat like that. No one knew about diabetes awareness or all the health thing they tell us to eat now. And you know, mm -hmm. my grandmother lived till she was 90. My you know, people yes. kind of dismiss it like that. But yes. let's due to you know time constraints here, what are the symptoms? Because I know that you are very passionate about getting get checked up. Yes. What are the symptoms? Yeah, the four key symptoms are called the four T's. T for tired, T for toilet, T for thirsty, and T for thinner. Tired, toilet, thirsty, thinner. There are two other symptoms which I'll mention. Slow healing of cuts and wounds. So ulcers and sore foot. So that's why I said people mustn't walk around um, without feet, um, sh shoes on their feet or sandals or slippers. And another symptom, because I was in Dominica three years ago, blurred vision. I see people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s where the diabetes is having its wicked way at the back of their eyes, blurred vision leading to blindness, and they don't realize that that is it. They say, oh, I'm 60 or I'm 70. That's why my sight is failing me. 
And I say, come on, get real. It's nothing to do with getting old and your sight, a loss of vision and so on. It's the diabetes having its wicked way. So you have to go. I have to go. I don't wear glasses. I have perfect vision. But I go once a year. It's free on the National Health Service. Because I have diabetes, I go and they do a diabetes eye screening where they put drops yes. in my eyes and they take the camera and they take the photographs and they send it off to the labs and they say, Mr. Kelly, your eyes have come back. They're perfect. There's nothing forming at the back of your eyes. It's a big word. It's called diabetic retinopathy screening. Yes. But I like to, for simple, when I'm out there in my communities, I keep it real. And I yes. speak the language of the people. So I say, diabetes eye screening. Go and get your eyes checked. And people said to me, but are you medically qualified? I said, no, I'm not. That's my health disclaimer. But this is my lived experience for 18 years. This is my yes. reality. And you know you know what? And that is so true, especially in the Caribbean. Recently, I actually just did a series of videos for the Ministry of Health and Wellness in St. Lucia. And one of them was to go to a clinic, an eye clinic, and mm -hmm. to see how they were screening people to determine mm -hmm. whether they, you know, had any, had, uh, any diet, if they had diabetes. And so I went through the whole procedure and, mm -hmm. and a lot of, People who were sitting there, they were like, I was asking them, well, you know, um, are you afraid? And they go, yes, I'm afraid it's going to burn. It's going to sting. All the kind of things that in their head that were yeah. preventing them from going. And it oh, was not, the mm. only thing that was, was perhaps uncomfortable was the fact that they put the eye drops in your eyes and you I, had and to wait for it. Was it 20 yes. minutes or something? 15, 20 yes, minutes? That is correct. That and is to me, that was the only time that I could say, well, yes, you know, you got, you look in through and so on and so on. But to me, it was, it was more of a slight discomfort than there was any green blind and not being able to the beauty yes. of and there are lots of, of um services lab like this throughout the Caribbean which are free as well. You know, if people can't, because I know we pay for everything in the Caribbean and maybe that prevents people from going, but there are lots of these screenings are free. They just need to go to their community no. centers yes. and they will be advised. I'd, I'd agree because what, what after I did Dominica and then I've been to Canada and done the same. Diabetes Awareness Month in the Caribbean is in November. Wait for it. For the first two weeks in November, I'll be in Jamaica, going into the little villages and communities. People say, Tony, they've seen me a lot on webinars and Zooms yes. and Teams. And they yes. say, we want you in person because you're so passionate. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And then flying from there for the last two weeks to Barbados to do the same thing. Barbados has the highest rate of lower limb amputations of any Caribbean country to do with diabetes. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to be out there and people are saying, we can't wait for you to come. We've seen you in action on these webinars and Zoom and Teams. And we think you will get the message across far better. That With due respect to the medical profession and healthcare professionals, some of them talking with a hot potato in their mouth. I keep it real. When I break into my Jamaican part one to make language, people say, I thought you say you were born in England. I say, yes, but I grew up in Jamaica. So I've seen the best of both worlds. Yes. And I'm just telling you, wanty, wanty, can't get it, and get it, get it, no wanted. Or dopey, know who to frighten. And when, and they laugh and say, oh, you know all of these terms. Yes, yes. But you so, know, uh, as you said earlier, you know, with the NHS, there are uh, many things that you can do. You don't always have to go directly to your doctor. That's but correct. What I would like you to, to tell um, my listeners is 
it is not just the person who has diabetes who is suffering. It is their family, family and friends. Yes, Some yes. family and friends, they actually enable people with diabetes. Yes. They do enable. How do you advise these people to stop enabling and to assist their loved one or their friend right. or their colleagues to get the treatment that they need? Well, let me start backwards. I read an article about Linford Christie. We all know who Linford Christie is. Linford Christie learned to swim two and a half years ago. And I thought, I was brought up in the Caribbean, Jamaica, as we said, and we were told black people can't swim. That's always this myth about there. My grandmother never sent me to the river, to the beach or to anything. She said, no, you're my favorite grandson. You're going to drown. So I've never learned to swim. However, this is how proactive I am. When I saw the article, if it's good enough for Linford Christie, it's good enough for Tony Kelly. I have been learning to swim since November, December of last year. They have now moved me from the beginner's group. They say, you're so good, we're putting you into the intermediary group. So that is number one. Number two, I'm not saying people need to do that. Fast-paced walking, using the lift is a no-go in our house. You lift and escalators and, and, and so on in, in the supermarkets or wherever. No, I will climb up 17 flights of stairs. And people ask me if I'm crazy. I say, your feet were made for walking. Come off at the bus stop before they stop you due and walk. Why are you going 400 yards on the road? Where any you're born in a motor car, I keep it so real and people laugh. I say, no. So why do you have to drive the motor car 600 yards down the road? Use, the, the car runs to school, in the, the school runs in the morning. When we're growing up in Jamaica, we walk two miles to school in the hot sun. So mm -hmm. why are you taking the, the car out and going with the children half a mile? Let them walk in the fresh air. Let them sort of thing. You can do line dancing. I do Zumba. I am the one digga digga man most times in a Zumba class with 20 women, 25, 28 women. And I say, well, I'm the rose amongst <laughs> the storm. I laugh at it because I think of what I saw in Jamaica and I'm not going there. I do yoga. I do Pilates. This is week in, week out. I do aquarobics. I play badminton. And the doctors down at the surgery that I go to say, no wonder you, 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 you keep yourself fit and trim. Mango season just starts. Now, I will kill you, Delia, for mangoes, coming live and direct from Jamaica. But I know I have to eat within reason because mango is natural sugar or fructose. So you cannot be sitting down here eating eight, nine mangoes at oh, a yes. time. Oh, yes. Well, that's, yeah, because that's something that people boast about. Because the Caribbean people boast about that. They say, oh, I had nine mangoes for breakfast no, no, this no, morning. No, 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 That's way you too know? much. Natural sugar, that will make you put on weight. It is fruit, but that is way too much. So you yeah. need to watch your diet. You need to watch the amount. But... I want people to get away from the sedentary or what we call couch potato lifestyle. Get off your proverbial, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And the movement, movement. In Jamaica, they have this thing called Jamaica Moves, which is why they want me out. They said, Tony, you need to come out here. You need to do your Pilates and your yoga and the fast-paced walking and show people to climb the stairs, um, do gardening, um, mowing the lawn, sweeping up, um, washing the car. That's physical activity you're doing. Because I tend, Delia, not to use the word exercise. Exercise conjures up images. Because I do this event all the time, 150 per year since retirement 10 years ago, early retirement. And people say, Tony, are you in the early days? A lady would say to me in her wheelchair, so you're expecting me to go to the gym? I say, where did I say that? You use the word exercise. It conjures up images of yeah. gym. Physical yeah. activity. 
dancing, zumba, um, aerobics, um, fast-paced walking, um, walk and don't walking on flat surfaces, fine hills and, and steep gradients and so on. Those are the things that I do. I'm passionate. It's called pro-social modeling. Delia, I have to lead by example. I couldn't be 15, 16, 17 stone standing up in front of groups and telling them, oh, by the way, you need to lose some weight. Because they would eat, I would either well turn around and say, when the last did you look at yourself? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I, I agree with you. And I say to people, do the thing that makes it fun for you. Do the thing that you enjoy. If you Absolutely. don't like running, walk. Don't, don't walk, walk. When you walk, Walk mm -hmm. with somebody, you know, like which is why I'm talking about getting friends and family to support you. Walk mm -hmm. with somebody that mm -hmm. y'all can just chat. Y'all can chat your business, the road. Y'all can do with your walk. You do the same thing that I do. You, you, because I tell them in the groups that I do, I say, form a walking club. Not just one of you, four of you. So when yes. I call on Delia and Delia says, Lord, my head hurt me. I say, no, 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 no. We have two other people to pick up. And I give you a motivator. Yes. Then we got to yes. the third one, and the third one says, um, Maria says, oh, um, what took you so long? And we tell her the story about you, and she says, okay, and we, we're late, and then we pick up number four and number five, and they say, oh, it's too late now. And we say, no, 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 no. And all of you got together, and you talk about the weather, and president number 45, and you talk about Brexit, and you talk yes. about climate, yes. and you all walk up three miles up a hill, and don't realize, if you try and do it on your own, listeners and viewers, you yes. will give up. Yes, no, definitely. And you know what I also do? And I say to, to my dad, because my, my dad, as I said earlier, he has uh, diabetes. He mm -hmm. um, loves country music, like most people, you know, who right. are yes. in the Caribbean. He lives in St. Lucia. I mean, he's traveled, right. but he's back at mm -hmm. home. And and so I said, well, dad, you know what? Sometimes we should just, we could shake a leg, you know? And he laughed. Right. And we'll put yes. on the music that he, he likes, right. you know? Mm -hmm. Just movement, so you don't have to do, mm -hmm. do movement so that it feels like exercise. Just dancing, mm -hmm. just yes. a little waltz if you want to. If that's the kind of thing you like, you know. Just yes. so there's so many different things. But Tony, I would like to thank you so much for being here today. And is there a? I know you've given us a lot of messages. Is there mm -hmm. anything that's kind of like blurring in your mind that you're thinking? I really would like my. Your well, well, if at first this. you don't succeed, then try and try and try again. So if you fall off the bicycle or off the horse or the wagon, get up, dust yourself down, and continue on the journey. The race is not for the swift, like you say in Bolt. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. So you you will have relapses. Most of us have, but you need to then say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start again. I'm gonna try again again. But you have to, as you rightly said, Delia, have your support, your family, and your networks around you. You cannot do it on your own. Um, I have my wife and daughter and son-in-law who are gee me on, egging me on, and wait. Sometimes. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I feel like Easter just gone. I had a nice piece of bun and cheese, but I know mm -hmm. I'm going to go and work that off at the gym. I'm going to yes. go fast walking or so on. So yes. I don't sit back down there just just wasting oh, time. Oh, you know, as you say that, let me just ask you something. Yeah. What about people who with uh, diabetes who they just cannot stop eating things that they know they shouldn't eat, like chocolate? 
You no, know, no, it no, might no, not be the, the sweet things. No, no, How can, no. What would you say to them to encourage them it to is, try it to it stop? It comes down to discipline. You have to discipline. It's a mindset and it's a discipline. Yes, I know there are chocoholics out there, just like all oh, their alcoholics out there and their gamblers and so You have to decide. And habits are easy to make. My grandmother used to tell me as a child, habits are easy to make but hard to break. That's another of my metaphors coming out there. I have so many I could go on I and on. I can tell. <laughs> but what the person needs to do is decide, okay, they're going to go to the supermarket and instead of buying six bars of chocolate, make the conscious decision now because it's going to last them to, to buy only two. And the chocolate you need to go for is the dark chocolate. I'll give you that bit of advice. The dark chocolate has up to 70 to 80% cocoa in it. It is, it is bitter in taste, it's an acquired taste, but it is far better for you than the Cadbury's chocolate that you see out there with the whole heap of sugar, 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 sugar. So if sweets is your craving, you're going to have to decide, well, let me go out, try and cut down on the sweets and go for more um, fresh fruits and so on. Because within most fruits, there, there, there is fructose, natural sugar. But yes. you have to make that effort. It, 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 it's a combined, joined-up effort with family. If you're on your own, then I know some people comfort eat. Comfort eating is not good for you yes. because you'll just pile on the pounds. And I know during the first lockdown, my GP to end with said to me, Tony, you know, you were the last person I decided to call back in to have yourself weighed. She said some of the people came back in because they were comfort eating and not doing any physical activity, mm -hmm. sitting in their home eating. She said some of them put on three stone, four stone. And you know what stone is 14 Yes. yes. I could hardly recognize them. Tony, Although everything, all the gyms were closed, you didn't put on an ounce. Why is that? I said, because I found hills and valleys and gradients and I walked. I, I'm not into running, but I walked fast-paced walking and I did my skipping and I did, yeah. did my gardening and I walked up the stairs up and down and so on. And she said, gosh, you're so motivational. Pe people yeah. need, to, need to really take a leaf out of your You book. know, it's worth noting here that you don't need to, listen, this is for you, you don't need to walk quickly for it to work. And you can take a stroll, you can take right. your time, you just need to get your body moving. Yes. You yes. start, you walk for one minute one day, then you mm -hmm. walk for two minutes the next crazy. day, and you build it up. Don't feel, oh, I've got a leg pain, or just mm -hmm. make a start, and you will notice how very quickly your body will adjust and actually mm -hmm. will yearn for it. You'll just start feeling your body will think, oh, there's something missing. I really need to go for a walk. And as Tony says, if you have yes. friends with you, that helps all more the more. Yes. But Tony, how can people contact you? It's easy. I have two places they can contact me. One, we have a second landline at home. 0121-686-0440. My wife, daughter, and son-in-law, they don't answer that phone. It's ringing at the moment <laughs> as we speak. That is for all diabetes-related inquiries. And I go and give talks so people can also email me, simple email address, tonykellydiabetes at hotmail.com. T-O-N-Y-K-E-L-L-Y, diabetes at hotmail.com. Um, I come, I do it on webinars, Zoom or virtual or some people say, no, we want to see you in the flesh. So I go to London, Manchester, Coventry, all over the place. I am mindful of burnout, Delia. So I pick and choose because um, I'm only one, one person. There are other champions out there, but they keep saying, no, 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 we want you to come and do it. But mm -hmm. any overseas trips, I've been, as I said, been to Dominica, Canada, going to Jamaica and Barbados soon. 
Um, I am all for getting amongst, especially black people, African, black Caribbean and Asian and white working class people. We need to, the inequalities that have been brought on by COVID-19 and the disparities and the racism, we are about changing the narrative. And let me leave one more point with you. When I go to a lot of these conferences, I've been doing it for 10 years now, they talk about hard to reach communities. I despise the words. I say, who are you referring to? Oh, the black people, the white working class people, Asian people. I say, excuse me, are they on Mars, Jupiter, in the rainforest, in the jungle? No black person, African Caribbean Asian person is hard to reach. You need to come from behind your laptop, from out of your ivory tower, and go and engage with the communities. If Mohammed can't reach the mountain, then the mountain must come to Mohammed, which is why I do 150 community events free per year. So I'm out there. People can call on me. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope we get some follow through on this. <laughs> I'm sure we will. All right. In the first half of this episode, we discuss the modern interpretations of the phrase and how it has been explored in fictional media. To finish the show, we'll be taking a look at the history of the saying and the understanding of its usage during the time of Aristotle in ancient Greece. Grab your sandals, it's time to look into the world of ancient scholars. In the time of Aristotle, scholars and philosophers were well respected for what they offered the world through education. As a student of Plato, Aristotle went on to create and understand many forms of physics, philosophy, psychology, etc., which he used to teach himself and others. Much of what Aristotle taught and explored spanned centuries of learning. His student and successor, Theophrastus, wrote a pioneering piece on botany. His work was revered by both Christian and Muslim scholars, which, as a Hellenistic philosopher, was a grand achievement to be respected in both Western and Middle Eastern circles. Even in our modern society, much of what Aristotle spoke of and produced in his scholarly work are well regarded and even used as the basis of research. For example, Nico Tingbergen's four questions. The four questions are function. Why is the animal performing this behavior? How does performing this behavior increase an animal's chances of survival? Evolution. How has a behavior evolved? How has evolution modified this behavior over time? Causation. What causes the behavior? What stimuli or physiological methods cause the behavior to be performed? Development. How has the behavior developed over an animal's lifetime? And how has different events in that animal's lifetime changed the performance of that behavior? These questions were based on Aristotle's four causes, material, efficient, formal, and final cause, which has been used to analyze animal behavior. Centuries have passed since Aristotle's work was produced, and yet much of what he produced and said, like our phrase today, are still of relevance. Things we learn from the past can be just as relevant as today. I get it. To do something, anything, is hard. It's much easier to blame your father, your mother, the environment, the government, the lack of money. But even if you find a place to assign the blame, it doesn't make the problems go away. I'm trying something new. A time approaches in every person's life when they must come to learn new things. 
as Aristotle was a student of the renowned Plato, even leaving home at the age of 17 to study at the institute of his mentor. With this in mind, it is likely that he understood the bitterness and hard work that came with gaining education, as well as the sacrifice it can take to devote your precious time to the quest for knowledge. It will not have been an easy task. Most pursuits of knowledge aren't simple, yet Aristotle pursued it still. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. Sir, I just want to say thank you. You saved my life. In ancient Greece, most boys, particularly those of wealthy and elite families, were sent out to learn from such scholars as their teachings prepared them for life. Knowledge was power, and power was necessary to move forward in life with success. Thankfully, now things are mostly different. It is not just the wealthy who gain access to education, though such things as private education still exist, which allows the continuation of knowledge through power to exist within the elite classes. However, that does not mean that one cannot reach those heights through their own means or via different methods. Now I want you to go home and look at your lives tonight. Look at your parents' lives and ask yourself, do I want better? If the answer is yes, I'll see you here tomorrow. And I promise you, I will do everything in my power to get you to college and to a better life. Teaching and learning something that can be applied in life is difficult. Many students can be heard complaining about how Pythagoras' theorem can help them to understand taxes, or what does analyzing of mice and men have to do with finding a job? Aristotle, one can assume, would see that any education, though bitter in what may be learnt, can lead to a betterment of circumstances through what they have learnt. Knowledge is power, and though the route to gaining it can be difficult, the end result is one that can be worth all the ache to reach it. If you're willing to dig deep, if you're willing to pick yourself up when you fall, if you're willing to work and work until your weaknesses become your strengths, then you'll develop a set of skills that you can mold and apply to any situation you encounter, any job you might have, any crisis you might confront. But you've got to make that choice. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you to Tony Kelly for speaking with me today. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach me at colorful.com slash shows slash Delia and use the contact tab or email me at info at metaphorically speaking dot UK. 
We'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. You know, I say this all the time because it's true. We depend on you to help us to grow so we can continue to produce the best content for you to enjoy. And a lot of people have said that during conversations with friends, they bring up the metaphors and they talk about what they heard on the show. So please spread the word. Join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, as usual, I say keep safe. I'm Delia Delore. Goodbye. Goodbye.